been a busy week for Inter Miami, with the team doing two things that people have been waiting a long, long time for. The team advanced above the playoff line, and it launched a jersey sponsor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio. I am Franco Panizo, half of your co-hosting team of this podcast, the number one podcast on Inter-Miami, providing you all the news, analysis, opinions, and more. And joining me, you have already heard her snicker a little bit there, is the unmatched Michelle Kaufman of the Miami Herald. Michelle, how are you doing on this fine Thursday night? I almost said Friday. We're not there yet. Thursday night. Right. Uh, well, I'm I'm doing well now that I ate because I'm Jewish and I was fasting for 24 hours for Yom Kippur. So I am much better now that I'm eating. <laughs> you, I remember you sending me a message yesterday. We were WhatsApping and you were saying how you uh, you were starting the fast. And I, you know, I asked you what the first thing you would eat as soon as the fast was over. And you ate. Tell, share it with the people what you had as your first meal after 24 plus hours of not, well, not eating. Well, my first my first bite. Then I ate a normal meal, but my first bite after the fast is always one piece of challah bread, like the egg bread, um, braided bread. Uh, that's what I sort of start it with, and that's what I end it with. So um, that's what I did once again. You say a little prayer, you eat the little piece of bread, and then I had a normal dinner. It must have tasted delicious. I can't imagine. I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever fasted. 24 hours? Maybe I have. Maybe when my like drunk 20 years <laughs> back in those days, maybe I had a day where I didn't eat. But um, yeah, I haven't fasted like that in a long, long time. So uh, kudos to you. We have a lot to talk about, Michelle, and we have not that much time to do it in because this is a very quick turnaround. When people will be listening to this pod, it will be Friday, the day of the game against the New York Red Bulls. So we are going to preview that. We're going to recap Tuesday's very eventful 1-0 victory <laughs> over Toronto FC, a game that was also controversial. We'll touch on the on the controversial plays, and we'll also do the Q&A session at the end of the podcast. So, Michelle, let's get to it. All right, Michelle, so we're going to do things a little bit differently on this pod, whereas normally we recap the most recent game and then in the second segment preview the upcoming game. We're going to flip it around. We're going to preview this match against the New York Red Bulls because it's going to be Friday again when people listen to this, and then we'll recap the the Toronto FC game in, in segment two. But before we get into any game action, before we talk X's and O's and all of that, Let's start with the news that came out this week. News we reported first here on Miami Total Football, and that is that Inter-Miami at long last has a jersey sponsor, a major jersey sponsorship deal. That announcement came on Wednesday, a very formal, ritzy, and kind of glitzy affair there in the Northwest VIP section of Drive Pink Stadium. Jorge Mas was in attendance, Jose Mas was in attendance, Chris Henderson, Kieran Gibbs, almost all the all the big the big names with regarding to Inter Miami. David Beckham was not in attendance, but his jersey was there. You saw the the La Familia, excuse me, come out with David Beckham home jerseys, the white jerseys with the logo on the front and Beckham and the twenty three on the back. So he was there in spirit. Michelle, what do you think about the look? Let's start there. What do you think about, well, first of all, the team getting a logo, and then what do you think about the look, your opinion on the aesthetics from a personal preference standpoint? Yeah, I mean, uh, aesthetically, I think it looks good. It's not too busy. It's just four letters. So it's not something that's super busy or long, or it's not hard to pronounce or anything like that. I think it's great that they finally, they were one of only two teams out of 27 that didn't have a jersey sponsor, Colorado is the other one, 
And, you know, it was long overdue. I mean, this is a team that is, you know, came into the league as the global advertising heavy team that's going to, you know, reach all over the world. And they didn't have a jersey sponsor. But I think it was complicated um, from my conversations with people that were in the know. Uh, you know, they started out really thinking about a cruise. I think they were close to getting a, a sponsorship from a cruise company, from a cruise line. They wanted to do something that was very Miami, tropical, travel, whatever, uh, at the start. And, and so I think they spoke to a few cruise lines. They had some very serious conversations. But then COVID hit. And uh, I think, you know, when COVID hit, obviously the cruise industry is one of the worst hit industries. So I think that those conversations dried up. And then, you know, of course, there were talks last year and reports about David Beckham having a $200 million deal set up with Qatar, with Qatar Airlines and with the Qatari sport organization. And that got a lot of pushback um, from, you know, human rights groups to Jewish groups. It was it was going to be controversial. David Beckham happens to be one quarter Jewish, by the way. Not that this is like the Jewish podcast. I've now covered <laughs> Yom Kippur. I, I think we've had the and- most Jewish coverage of any <laughs> Miami Total Football Radio podcast Combined. ever. <laughs> yeah. This is like the total Jewish references on this podcast tonight. But anyway, David Beckham is one quarter Jewish. Uh, his grandfather is Jewish on his maternal side. That is something all Jewish people hang on to. We try to claim anybody that we can claim. So anyway... Um, so I think that um, XBTO is there's nothing controversial about it. Uh, cryptocurrency is hot. It's new. It's trendy. Everybody's talking about it. To be honest, I do not understand it. If somebody would like to explain <laughs> it to me, to me, it's like monopoly money. Or I guess it's like a credit card where, you know, just because they say it's worth something, it is worth something. You know, I'm still like, oh, dollars and cents. But, you know, obviously we buy things with credit cards. We we do Venmo. We do Zelle. We do all these things. So it's very popular. I know governments don't like it because they can't regulate it as much. But there are a whole lot of people that are investing in cryptocurrency. So and I do know that the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, wants to make Miami the crypto capital of the universe. So he has been wooing and luring all kinds of cryptocurrency companies to come to Miami. Um, he really, and he's, he's allowing, I believe like the city employees can use cryptocurrency and he's really a big techie guy. Uh, Francis Suarez is a big techie guy. Francis Suarez is tight with Jorge. Um, and you know, Marcelo Claure, we don't really know exactly what his role is with the team anymore because I keep hearing he's going to sell his, his stake and all that. But He's also very involved with cryptocurrency. So um, it doesn't surprise me that a cryptocurrency company is the one that uh, ended up sponsoring this team. And it is something sort of new and edgy and trendy, which is what Inter Miami, um, you know, likes to sell itself as. Now, I'll start with just the the news, which is that they have the sponsor. And I think it's obviously a a good bit of news for them. It's always been kind of the the question that often gets asked about in addition to the, the Miami Stadium. It's been often asked of, of Jorge Mas, what's the latest on this? A lot of fans wanted to see a, a sponsor on the jersey, felt that the jerseys were a bit too plain without one or didn't have the legitimacy that, that teams around the world, big teams around the world have when they have that sponsor across the chest. Some people don't like that. Some people prefer just the, the shirt with no sponsor, but obviously there was a very vocal segment of the fans that wanted one. And Inter Miami now also gets more economic 
resources to to do different things now as a part as part of this this deal. So it's reported to be worth four or five million dollars. I did ask Jorge Mas yesterday at the event how long the deal was for. Obviously, he didn't give me financial details. Those are just details that have been reported since then. But he did say that the the deal is worth, or excuse me, not worth. The deal is for potentially four years so potentially means to me that there's an option in there for maybe a, a fourth year that that fourth year is not guaranteed but expect to see xbto for the foreseeable future on the front of the inter miami jerseys as for the aesthetics it i agree with you that it's it's just four letters and then a the little logo there i don't think it looks bad it's not it's not overwhelming or it's not huge on top on the front where it's overpowering and that's what your eyes just solely focus on. So I don't think it's bad. I think it looks better on the away jersey, the the La Palma black jersey because it gives it a little bit more pink and it makes the the jersey pop a little bit more. The the, the one on the home jersey, eh, not not so much because because it's in black lettering and the logo is in black, so it doesn't really do it for me there, but Michelle, are you of the belief, or it, again, this is personal opinion, personal preference, likes, dislikes. So this is, you know, this just comes down to each individual. But are you of the thought that you like a logo on a jersey or a corporate sponsor on a jersey, or do you prefer just a, a plain kit with nothing on it besides the crest and the the manufacturer? Well, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm 56 years old, but I'm pretty old school. If I were given the choice, even though nowadays, I mean, everything is a walking billboard now in sports. Every athlete in every sport is a walking billboard. I personally don't like walking billboards. I don't like companies' names all over stuff. Uh, you know, stadiums, I get it, but I don't even like the names of stadiums now. You know, back in the day, it was, you know, Dolphin Stadium. It was Candlestick Park. It was, you know what I mean? I mean, it was... Uh, <laughs> The stadiums just had names, and that's what we knew them as. And now every stadium is the name of a company. Every athlete is wearing, you know, one logo on their sleeve, one logo across their chest, one logo on their shoe, one logo on their socks. It seems like there's just, to me, it's too much. To me, there's too much corporate. I understand there's a lot of corporate money in sports. I get it. It's it's a huge economic thing. Um, and these sponsors want more and more signage. Um, but if I were given a choice, sure. me personally, I just like a plain kit with just the name of the team on it without any corporate logos. And I also just think it makes things less controversial, even just the sense, even just like Qatar Airways. There are people that I know who will not buy that Jersey, even if they love it, that team, they will not wear a Jersey that has a certain corporation's name on it, even if they like the team. So it just makes life a little more complicated. And I just think it looks cleaner and slicker with no logos. And I like stadium names that are not the name. I mean, I'll be honest. If I had to pick between Inter-Miami Stadium and Drive Pink Stadium, I would pick Inter-Miami Stadium. You know, if I had to pick between Miami Heat Arena and FTX Arena, I would pick Miami Heat Arena. Uh, that's just me. I like to keep sports to sports. And if the corporations want to sponsor, then it used to be in the past that it was a little bit more subtle. I feel like now the sponsorships are really in your face to the point where some jerseys and kits, the name of the company to me is bigger, you know, and more prominent than the name of the actual team. Yes. For me, I've always been, uh, well, growing up, I was always of the thought that it should have a, a logo on the front. Just, it just makes it 
less plain. When Inter Miami's first, when the jerseys first came out, we're talking 2020, ahead of the expansion season. No, those jerseys look pretty plain, especially the home jersey looks pretty plain on the field. But I guess with time, I've also kind of come to appreciate it a little bit more. So I guess this is my way of saying I'm on the fence. I'm not really sure if I'm on the side of, yes, a jersey needs to have a corporate sponsor on it, or if I'm of the belief that it looks better without one. If I had to choose, I would say I would prefer a logo on Inter Miami's jerseys because they're without them, they're just a little too plain for my personal taste. But that's just my my opinion. I do, uh, do want to touch on something because I'm not very familiar with crypto and that industry and what it all means is one of the questions I had for Jorge Mas yesterday but he did say this is not cryptocurrency this is a company that lives in that field or operates in that in that business but it's not actually a currency it, it, it helps manage the currency I think my understanding is from what he said but it's not actual currency like bitcoin or or any of the like it so this is a different type of company we'll see what comes of it supposedly there's going to be some initiatives and Jorge Mas said they could come as soon as November but more likely in 2022 fans will have to be in stadium to experience these in-game initiatives that the team is looking to do with XBTO but what let's switch gears and focus back on the field and we have a game to attend on Friday night, because Inter Miami returns home to Drive Pink Stadium, or Inter Miami Stadium, if you want to go with the non-corporate name, and they take on the New York Red Bulls, the struggling New York Red Bulls. Michelle, what should we expect from this game from Inter Miami, and what should we expect from the New York Red Bulls? See, uh, just to preface, we're just talking about uh, sponsorship names and sp- the New York Red Bulls, right there. The name of the team is an advertisement for for, for <laughs> a product. Anyway. Uh, the question is what to expect, right? Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. I mean, for one thing, uh, well, Gonzalo Higuain will be back, which is big. You know, I think now yeah, he, he has he, been playing. He missed, he missed the Tuesday game, right? He missed the Tuesday game. Since we're doing this, since we're doing this backwards, just to explain to people, maybe they didn't see the game or um, are just catching up because we do have people from all over the world so uh, that listen to the podcast. So if if they didn't catch games because of the time difference, Gonzalo Higuain did not play on Tuesday. He was right. rested. He so. stayed home. He yeah. stayed home to rest. What a nice thing. I'd like to stay home sometimes <laughs> to rest from my job. You know, today I don't feel like working all – I'm going to rest today. Anyway – um, he took some time to rest, and he's going to be well-rested, right? Tomorrow night he'll be ready. Um, Phil Neville told us that uh, Robbie Robinson and Gregory are both big question marks for Friday night's game, which came as a bit of a surprise to me. Anyway, Robbie did not have his best game, but um, he has been playing well, and he's a big weapon and obviously a very talented guy and has been a regular starter in, I believe, five of the last six games. But Phil seemed to think that, um, you know, they want to make sure they manage his minutes correctly because he got injured earlier in the year and he's not really used to playing 90 minutes and he did play 90 minutes against Toronto. So he's a question mark. And then Gregory has uh, some nagging injuries, apparently, that have been bothering him. So he also is a question mark. As far as uh, the Red Bulls, it's a very young team. Um, it's a team that, you know, they've been kind of up and down. They're not that far behind Miami in the standings. You know, the thing is the standings, the way they are with 11 games to go for Miami, you know, one minute Miami was in fifth place after beating Toronto, but then 24 hours later, they were in back to eighth place, you know? So they were in the playoff. They were in the playoff line for about 24 hours 
And then after that, they moved back to eighth. So right now, it really is a numbers game. They have 11 games to go. They have one game in hand um, ahead of the games, the teams that are right ahead of them. So that works in their favor. But really, every single game, three points is a big difference from one point. Like settling for ties is not really in the position that they're in. They really need to get a lot of points to get ahead of the teams because even if they win, if the teams ahead of them are winning that also, that doesn't do them any good. So they need to collect as many points as possible. The Red Bulls are not a bad team. They are behind them in the standings in 11th place, but you know, they're, they're not a bad team. I mean, they beat Columbus. Uh, you know, they've lost by one goal to Chicago. They lost by one goal to Montreal. They lost by one goal. You know, they tied DC. So, this is not a bad team. It's a team that's been having mediocre results a little bit up and down, but they're very young. They love to high press, which mm-hmm. means Miami cannot make mistakes in stupid positions. And we have seen this team make some mistakes in areas, you know, near the box that are dangerous. And this is the kind of team that is going to have numbers up there. And if they make a mistake, they will pounce on it and take advantage of that. So they're not a team that relies as much on possession and stuff. They they really like to press high and and capitalize on the other team's mistakes. And so Miami is going to have to be very careful, uh, very careful with the ball, especially in certain parts of the field. I covered the New York Red Bulls very closely during my time in the Northeast. It was actually the the beat that I jumped on when I first moved uh, to New Jersey before moving to New York City. And I've seen their transition, or I saw their transition up close and personal from being a star-studded team, like Inter-Miami is now, in terms of where it stands in the league, with big-name players like Gonzalo Higuain and Rolfo Pizarro and Blaise Matuidi. Back in, in those days, it was Thierry Henry, Tim Cahill, Rafa Marquez. That that was the Red Bulls that I saw at first, and then it transitioned into this younger, more energetic, high-pressing team. It had worked initially during those first few years with Jesse Marsh as head coach, this high-pressing caused a lot of problems for a lot of teams in the league, but the Red Bulls have invested less and less, and their team has suffered in a big way. You said they're not a bad team. I think this is the worst Red Bulls team that I've seen since I started covering the league uh, a decade ago, and they do have Andres Reyes on the roster, which is notable because he's a former Inter-Miami player. He has not played all that much this season. He's only gotten eight appearances. He came off the bench Mm. in their midweek game against the the Columbus crew. Maybe he could start on this one because, again, he has he has seen some time before the substitute cameo. He had started the last three games for the Red Bulls, so, uh, or his last three appearances were starts. So maybe they, they put him onto the field on Friday night because he, maybe he'll be motivated to play against his former team and show them show them what they missed that out they made on. they a mistake. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, when I interviewed him before the season began, he didn't say anything of the like about Oh, I want to go prove them wrong, but he did say that he did have, he did know when the first game between the two sides was, and obviously I'm sure he's had this. Yeah, I'm sure this date has been circled, and especially it's here in Miami. Yeah. You know, he's going to be coming back here, and and he's definitely going to want to show anybody who gets dropped from a team, they're always motivated the next time they go play there. There's no question. Yeah, I, I remember, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I remember Brandon Barklage, who played for DC United, but then signed with the Red Bulls. He was cut by. DC United or let go by DC United one offseason. Red Bull signed him. He starts in a game against them and scores two goals. And he's, he was a right back. He never scored goals. Yeah. He scored two goals against them. And then after the game, he had like one of the best quotes was, I had this game circled on my calendar, you know, since the offseason or since the schedule came out. So if we do see Andres Reyes tomorrow, 
expect him Watch to be out. a bit motivated. Yeah, yeah. He, he has scored two goals this season. He hasn't played that much, but he has scored two goals. His first MLS goals, he scored them this year for the Red Bull. So he has been a bit more of a threat than he was, at least on set pieces, than Inter Miami than when he was with Inter Miami in twenty twenty. But just to talk about just the collective of the Red Bulls, like you said, they are a high pressing team like to force turnovers up the field, like to hit you in transition very, very quickly. They don't have the star power that they used to have. They don't really have the difference makers. This is a game that Inter-Miami should win, should win. If they can avoid playing into the Red Bulls' strengths, which again are forcing those turnovers or pouncing on loose or errant passes, if Inter-Miami can avoid doing that, Inter-Miami has a very good chance of winning this one, and I could even see them winning by multiple goals if Inter-Miami is, is sharper on the day with the ball and avoids those those mistakes. So that's my key to the game, is avoiding those turnovers, avoiding those mistakes at the back. If you do that, I think with Gonzalo Higuain coming back in, I think they have the quality to get the job done. Even though Inter-Miami hasn't been attacking all that well as of late, a lot of the performances have left a something to be desired or a lot to be desired in terms of in possession and creating. But again, I think with the with being at home, the form that they're in, the confidence that the team has, I think they'll find a goal or two in this one against the Red Bulls if you can avoid those mistakes. So for me, the key to the game is avoiding those mistakes. Don't play into the Red Bulls' hands. What's the key to the game for you, Michelle? Gonzalo is the other key. I mean, he he's been... He's really been after the beginning of the year again where he was just not living up to expectations and he was not in shape and whatever. He took that little fitness break, whatever that was, and he came back. And since then and since his family arrived, you know, we talked to him about it, having his his wife here and his daughter, he's just like a different person. He just seems so much happier. He's not frustrated and complaining smiling as a lot more in the press conferences he's smiling i didn't even used to know what his teeth looked like <laughs> i mean he's smiling he looked like kind of like a grumpy old man before you know and now he's he's smiling he's enjoying he's celebrating and when people make mistakes he's i mean he still gets frustrated he's obviously a very top quality player and that's something that a lot of star athletes no matter what the sport when they join a team you know they it's so easy for them. It comes easy for them that they, when another guy can't do it, they get frustrated. Like, you know, why can't he do that? Why can't he do, you know, I can do that. Why can't he do that? Because he's a special player. He really is. And we're seeing it now. We didn't see it for a while, but there's a reason that he's had the career that he's had. And when he's on the field, you know, right now he's, it's a different team when he's on the field, he plays his position very well. If, if the ball isn't coming to him, then he moves back a little bit and, tries to, you know, get into the action more and, and create more. Um, I think he's going to be a huge factor in this game. All right. Well, there is one player. I will, I will name drop one more player for the Red Bulls that you should keep an eye on or that Inter-Miami definitely needs to do, do a good job of, and that's Caden Clark, the young midfielder. He's got He's cooled off. He started the season in a very good form. He's, cooled he's off the one a who's bit. like 17, right? Yeah, he's already gotten a move to Europe. He's bound for Europe after this MLS season. He does have the quality to maybe give you that spark if you're looking for one in the attack. Although, again, he's cooled off and is it's part of just being a young player and trying to grow into into your own. As for the the lineup, this is the this is the eleven I think will, that Inter Miami will go with. I think it'll be Nick Marsman and goal. I think Lewis Morgan returns to the right wing back spot after starting on the left side in the last game against Toronto FC. I think you'll have that same midfield, or excuse me, that same center back trio of Leandro Gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Figal, and Christian McCoon. And I think at left wing back you'll have Breck Shea back in there. Your midfield, 
Although Phil Neville said that Gregory is a question mark and a ma- well, he said he's a massive doubt. I'm not sure I'm buying into that. There's there is I think I've picked up on a tell of Phil's and I think Gregory could very easily start in this one, especially given that Inter Miami might need an enforcer type against the very energetic New York Red Bulls. You might need that that endless motor that Gregory provides. So I could see Gregory starting. I could also see him just getting a rest and it being part of a. a a plan from Phil Neville and the coaching staff to give the center midfielders some rest. Blaise Matuidi obviously didn't start on the in the Tuesday game, so maybe it would be Gregory's turn in this one, but I think he starts. I'll, I will venture to guess that Gregory starts, and I think Blaise Matuidi will be there alongside him. And then up top, I think you'll see Gonzalo Higuain at the striker position, Rodolfo Pizarro on the left wing, and we'll see Indiana Vasilev on the right wing. Michelle, do you think that will be... The lineup Inter Miami goes with, or do you think there will be a different change in there here or there? Um, I think you're probably right. I, I'm wondering the yeah. I think definitely in the back it's going to be the same back three, the same keeper. I do think Lewis Morgan will go back to the to the right wing back and and Breck Shade to the left wing back. That that really worked well for all those previous games. So I see them going back to that. As far as Gregory, what do I? I don't know how what these nagging injuries are. Do you think they worry at all about how many yellow cards is he carrying? I think he's on is nine. He, uh, I think he's is on he in nine. danger of. Yeah, he, the next the next okay. one he gets means he's suspended for a game. But but even with that, I mean, at this point, Inter Miami's in not must win territory, but they're in, they're, they need to focus on the games that they're in now. I think it comes down more to rest. I, I don't know if I mean yeah. maybe he does have niggling injuries, but if this was a must win game tomorrow, if this was like uh, you either win and you get into the playoffs or you don't, I, I think Gregory would start. I think if they do sit him, it's more maybe giving him a rest as just, just to keep him somewhat fresh for what remains of the season. Same as what they did with Blaise Matuidi. I think it could just be a, a, a planned approach, a planned rest as opposed to, to, you know, him really, really not being at a hundred percent, but I do think he'll start. Right. I do think he'll start. Yeah, no, it's the same with Gonzalo. I mean, they're, they're definitely managing these guys yeah. minutes and I think their next game is, is it Nashville that's next? Nashville at home on Wednesday nights. Yeah, so that's you know that's a that's a very good opponent that they're going to play very soon on Wednesday. So they they've got, you know, I think they're they're trying to be strategic. Yes. Uh, they're trying to be strategic about who they play and when, and especially the guys that are, you know, doing the most running or the guys that are older, you know, whatever. I think they're definitely managing those guys' minutes more up front. I agree with you that um, it it seems like he's going to rest Robbie. Although, I don't know. I mean. I mean, he didn't play, he didn't have his best game, but he's not injured. He's not injured. Just being tired. I mean, he's, he's so young. He's one of the youngest guys on the team. Um, I don't know. Let's, let's touch on that topic a little bit more because obviously Robbie Robinson has been a key part of the attack this year. I think it comes down to not wanting to overwork him. Phil made it a point to, to point out that Robbie Robinson only played his second, second full 90-minute 90 90 game. game. Yes. But he doesn't have to play 90 minutes. You could play him and then take him out. No one is saying he has to play 90 minutes. But you've got a weapon like that, that that during the height of this run, when they were scoring the most goals, he was involved in a lot of it. And to be honest, you know, the trip to Chile, it was a disruption. You know what I mean? I, I definitely noticed a difference in him pre-Chile and post-Chile. I hate to say it, you know, PC and BC, <laughs> BC and PC. Um, he was really on a roll. He really was on a roll and, and was it was instrumental in, in several of those goals during that run, he and Pizarro both. And then when they both went on international duty and 
These are things that happen in soccer. These players are on a run, they're in a rhythm with their teammates, and then they go away. In his case, it was really, uh, it was a really difficult five days because I don't think he realized what a big deal it was when you go to the Chilean national team and on the eve of the Brazil World Cup qualifier, you say, nah, I'm, uh, okay, I came here, I saw, I'm uh, not interested right now, I'm going to go back and think things over. That did not go over very well. And, uh, you know, th that was a pretty tough week for him. And and I think it may have, it may have had an effect. It may have, there may have been a cost um, that he's, he's just coming still back from, from all that and is not maybe quite in the form that he was before that. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. My daughter's a psych major. Maybe I'm just trying to be too much of a <laughs> armchair psychologist. But um, anyway, to me, you've got a guy like that who's such a weapon. And when he's in the right position, I don't think he played as well, you know, in the nine position. I really don't with his back to the goal. Um, I think he's much better where they had been playing him on the left side, running, taking on guys. And, you know, I think he's, he's really good in that role. He's big, he's strong, he's fast. Um, and he can take guys on. He's not afraid to take guys on. And I think he played better that way than as a nine. Uh, but as long as you have Gonzalo back, uh, you know, but I don't know, maybe they go with Indiana. They're going to play probably Pizarro. Like you said, they could go with Indiana. Maybe they bring Robbie in, you know, bring him in in the second half Yeah, yeah, I, and I, just have him play. You know, that may be the way they go. Yeah. I think, I think he's going to get rested. I think it's a matter of him, not them, not wanting to overwork him and risk injury. So I don't think it's a matter of him being tired. I think it's more of a matter of them just trying to be strategic because they know that his muscles have shown to, to to maybe not handle the the the, the strenuous day to day of of professional soccer all that yeah the well. grind it's right. very different right Clemson so he's, he's you still, know he's still learning soccer. how that how how yeah. that goes it's a big jump you know we forget but we've talked about it Franco like to go from Clemson soccer you know he's the only uh, I believe or was there someone else we came up with he may be the only player on the team who played college soccer. This is a team of guys who have been playing professional soccer since they were teenagers. You know, no matter what club they were on, it doesn't matter. They were playing professional soccer with grown men since they were teenagers, everyone on this team. And he went through the college route, which is fine, but it, there's a transition, you know, going from college soccer to professional soccer. And, uh, you know, Gonzalo said it the other night when we asked about him, about Robbie, he said he has great potential but he still has a lot of improving to do, you know, physically and also with having field vision and just getting mentally stronger. So he's kind of a, a project. He's a guy that I know that Phil cares a lot about and has great hopes for, and they're trying to really uh, manage him the right way. I think if this, again, similar to Gregory, I think if tomorrow was a must-win game, if it was MLS Cup final or a playoff do-or-die game, I think Robbie Robinson would start. I think but since they, they have a longer-term vision in terms of what remains of the season, I think they, that they, they will rest him, especially with what Phil said today. Michelle, quickly, what do you think happens in this one? What is your prediction for, for this game? Jose Armando, who's been on the last couple of pods, he's been nailing them left and right. Phil, uh -oh. at, Phil at one point. Phil at one point. I mean, Phil. Steve at one point. Had a good little streak there where where he was score, where he was getting a lot of them correct too. My family started calling him a brew hook because they listened to the pod. So Michelle, there's no pressure on you whatsoever to get this oh right. Oh my god! But what do you think happens uh, happens tomorrow? Well, let's see. If we're gonna go by the law of averages, they've had four clean sheets in a row. 
what are the odds that they're going to have five clean sheets in a row after they had like one clean sheet the entire season leading, you know, up until this run. So I'm going to predict that New York will score one just because, not because I really think that there's some great scoring machine. I just think that the odds of going five games in a row without giving up a single goal, even a, you know, a PK, a free kick, who knows what is, is, I don't know. I think it's, their luck is going to run out at some point or their fortune. I shouldn't say luck, but their good fortune um, in, in clean sheets. And I may be wrong. And I'm sure that uh, if Nick Marsman is listening, he's probably, you know, he's probably licking his chops right now. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with you that Miami's going to score more. I am going to predict, uh, hmm. I'm picking between two to one and three to one. Let's see how, how optimistic do I want to be? Uh, I'm going to pick a Miami two to one victory. Two to one victory. All right. So we both have the same prediction because I'm also going two to one victory for inter inter Miami in this one. I do think that they, again, I think they, they can win this one by multiple goals if they play to their best or play close to their best. But Given how they've looked as of late, I'm not sure that if they'll make that much improvements. Although, again, I think the New York Red Bulls are in a pretty bad way and that Inter-Miami can can take advantage of their weaknesses. So 2-1 to one for Inter-Miami. We both have the same prediction. We'll see how it goes. And we'll well, we'll talk about it, I guess, tomorrow night at, in the press box and we'll see how our, how our prediction holds up. Let's take a quick break because we've talked quite a bit about this game coming up. We still have the Toronto FC match to recap and review and those controversial plays as well. So let's take a break, and we'll do all of that after this. expectation for me is for us to play at a certain level, and, and that's the demands that I want to put on these players, is that sometimes you win games of football, and we were probably lucky tonight to win a game of football. We'd be, we won a game of football because of the courage of probably a player that just keeps growing and getting better and better, and that's Christian McCoon. And, and the, the way he, he went forward to, to win the penalty and then the courage to stand up and take the penalty, I thought was sensational. That boys went right to the very top with that kind of attitude, confidence, bravery, and uh, the way he took his penalty was was, was first class. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud, but, but I expect that time. Okay, Michelle, we looked forward. Now let's look back. Inter-Miami won on Tuesday night in Toronto against Toronto FC at BMO Field, a 1-0 victory, the heart-stopping Herons, or the heart attack Herons, whatever the nickname <laughs> you guys want to give them, is... They did it again, 95th minute penalty kick from unexpected hero Christian McCoon. We'll touch on his performance in just a bit. But this was the starting lineup from Inter-Miami. You had Nick Marsman in goal. Your two wingbacks on the right was Kelvin Leardam. On the left was Lewis Morgan. The centre-back trio of Leandro González-Pires, Nicolas Figal, and Christian McCoon from right to left went untouched. Your midfield line was Captain Gregory and Jay Chapman, who got his first start in a long time. And then up top, you had a front three of Indiana Vasilev on the right, Robbie Robinson at the nine, and on the left wing was Rodolfo Pizarro. Michelle, what was your biggest takeaway from this one? Was it Christian McCoon's performance? What was the thing that stood out to you the most after this game? Mm, A couple things stood out. One was how much they missed Gonzalo. You know, I just think that's a really hard position, the nine. And, and it showed that, you know, they just, they missed his, not just finishing because sometimes he doesn't finish, but he is a pretty good finisher. And also just his movement around the box and his ability to find people. He's a very good passer. Yeah. McCoon's performance. I mean, 
that was very gutsy what he did. First of all, you know, this is a guy that has not had that much playing time he has in the last few weeks. But I mean, for a guy that young, who's not one of the big stars of the team or hadn't been to come charging up the field and to, to get that penalty, to draw that penalty. And then so immediately to want to be the guy who takes it. Um, he was just so determined and so confident in that moment. And I really felt like it was, a you know, a coming out party for him. It was like, uh, you know, he arrived on the stage in that game. He has been playing well, but I think the way he took charge in that final moment where it was, it really was do or die. It was like, we're going to either get one point or three. And this one guy, you know, carried the whole team on his shoulders and got them those two extra points. And then, you know, the way he made that PK was uh, quite unusual, his style, but he was so confident in it and it worked and, and he got them the win. I mean, he really did. He got them the win. They, they played, they played somewhat sloppy for parts of the game. I mean, they did have a clean sheet, so, you know, they got another shutout fourth in a row, which is very commendable, but their attack was a little bit disjointed. And when they did get opportunities, they didn't finish. And, you know, that is okay against Toronto, but, you know, they were playing a team that had given up 49 goals this season, which is the most in MLS. And they were not able to score one goal, you know, for 94 minutes against a team that had given up by far the most goals in this league. So that, you know, was not so great. And Phil Neville said that he was not happy. He was angry at the end of that game. He said, um, you know, we'll take the three. We're happy we got the, the win, but he was not happy with the way they played. So I think that's what I would take away in summary is that good teams, whatever the sport may be, and I've covered all of them, good teams find ways to win even when they're playing like crap. And, you know, they don't always look pretty, but the teams that have confidence and that have a lot of belief and good spirit, those teams find a way to win. They also tend to get some good luck and some good bounces, which they certainly got. Um, and that's what happens. And then losing teams, which I've covered a lot of those, losing teams, everything just seems to go wrong. The ball never bounces their way. Things never work out. When there's a chance to win a game, they don't. When they take a PK, they miss it. Uh, and the guys get a little bit demoralized. And, and it's just, you know, this team, this game was not pretty. By any means, they did not play beautiful soccer. They definitely missed uh, Gonzalo. But at the end of the day, they left Toronto with three points. And and that was huge for them. And I think it's a huge confidence boost. So I want to touch on two of the things you mentioned. Because for me, the biggest takeaway was the attack and how it continues mm -hmm. to struggle. And look, Inter Miami is a far and away better team now than it was two months ago. Far and away better. The results show that. Performances have shown that, but that the attack could not score against the worst team in the league that is in shambles defensively and that had 10 men, because that's something we did not mention. Toronto oh, yes. was down, oh, was down oh, a yes. man since Let's the 37th also, minute. Minor detail. The worst team in the league had given up 49 goals and there were only 10 of them. Yeah. The 37, <laughs> yeah. Kamar Lawrence was sent From off the in the 37th, 37th minute. minute for pulling down Robbie Robinson on a play that, that Jay Chapman hits an exquisite through ball in uh, through the middle. 
Robbie Robinson's about to break in on goal. Kamar Lawrence brings him down straight red for, for Kamar Lawrence. Inter Miami was up a man for more than a half in this game. And it did not look like it. It did not translate onto the field. You did not notice that on the field because Toronto oh, FC Toronto mm-hmm. FC was the most dangerous was the more dangerous side in the second half. They forced Nick Marsman into a few saves, whereas Inter Miami didn't create almost anything in, in, in this one in terms of in the final third. So that to me is concerning. I think that this is not a sustainable formula for success because performance levels tend to give you a sign of what's to come. So Inter Miami needs to needs to turn that around. Uh, if they want to to keep this good run of form going and then make some noise in the playoffs if they do get there. But the other point was on Christian McCoon, who, like you said, has a game-winning performance. Very solid at the back, as he has been for quite some time. He's been very quietly doing his job excellently. But in this one, maybe he gets his just reward for that because he scores the game-winning goal off the penalty kick and he's the one that draws the penalty kick as well with a great surging run forward. He combines with two one-two passes or wall passes. Paredes, as we say in Spanish, he does the first one with Blaise Matuidi, gets the ball back, then does another one with, with Robbie Robinson, gets into the penalty area, and then is brought down by Mavinga, by Chris Mavinga. So great play from, uh, from Christian McCoon to set that up. And then obviously the guts. As someone told me yesterday at the event, Christian McCoon had a lot of guts big very big guts to <laughs> very uh... <laughs> big guts yes <laughs> another, another word may have been used there but I, i'm just going with guts for uh i'm this, sure this, another is, word a, this is a family that, show a, this is a family show a word that we uh, <laughs> uh, uh, something that we eat for breakfast yes. yeah <laughs> yeah very big guts uh to, to take that penalty and I, and I fully agreed with with that because christian mccoon as soon as the, the the whistle's blown he goes to the ball picks it up and says this is mine and I believe he fended off Lewis Morgan's attempt to take the penalty kick, and I think he might have even done the same to Blaise Matuidi. And Blaise Matuidi is a World Cup winner. He is one of the most experienced players on the roster. To tell a player with that much experience, no, this is mine, as a 21-year-old, as a defender, that takes a lot of confidence in you. So I don't think that that's that a minor detail. That takes a lot of detail. breakfast foods, yes. <laughs> I don't think that that's a minor, minor detail and look, then he converts, he gets the job done, he slots it home, the take was unconventional, kind of Joseph Martinez-esque, which is a compatriot of his, so I don't know if there's something along the lines there, but it looked a lot like the Atlanta United strikers run up on his penalty kicks. Regardless, it goes in, and it was well-placed. It's not just a, a well-placed shot because it went in, it was actually tucked away nice into the bottom right corner. So, great performance from Christian McCoon. He was named to the MLS Team of the Week earlier today, Thursday, when we we're recording this podcast. So, he also did his little dinosaur celebration afterwards, which is the first time we've gotten a chance to see it. His nickname is Dinosaurio in the team. So, uh, it was it was a little nice moment for him and probably, again, a just reward for the good performances he's been putting in. Do we know why a, Why is that his nickname? I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of his, his profile as, as, a, as a person or if there's something else behind that. I, I've been looking to, we need to find ask. that next out. Press yeah. conference, I w- next press conference, I want to know the genesis of that nickname. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's because of his 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 perfil or his profile of how you know how how he's shaped or his body composition. Uh-huh. But I don't I don't I don't know. It's a good question. We definitely need to ask to find the answer to to that one. But with that penalty kick that he scored, came one of two controversial plays in this one. Two plays that Toronto FC went to the referee and said, "Look." You have to you have to change the call or you have to make this call and we're gonna dive into that because 
I think Inter Miami got a little lucky in this one. I think that they got pretty lucky to take the three points in this one because not only on the penalty kick, but a play minutes before that that Nick Marsman makes a save on. We'll start with which one do you want to start with? Do you want to start with the penalty kick or do you want to start with the with the with the save from Nick Marsman? Let's start with the save because that okay. was I thought the I in real time when they showed it and they showed it a few times, I mean it looked to me that the ball that the complete ball crossed. He made a great save, but it looked like the ball came in and then he whacked it out. Um, you know, they said that they didn't have any it was not conclusive. The the yeah. replays were not conclusive. But if I was a Toronto fan or Toronto player, I would not be happy about that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were pretty miffed about it on the field. And look, that's just for anybody that might not have seen the game or has not seen the play. Inter Miami had the ball in its defensive third. Nicolas Figal makes a back pass to Nick Morsman. Nick Marsman takes a poor first touch while he tries to control the ball. And Jefferson Soteldo comes darting at him. So under pressure, Nick Marsman just plays a, a pass. Instead of smashing the ball, he plays a pass to to the right side it's intercepted and then quickly taken a shot on goal to me in real time it looked like a goal it looked like a goal to me watching it on the replays afterwards slowing it down i still think it was a goal now it's not called on the field that's what matters the most it wasn't called on the field so inter miami gets away with one there they couldn't even go to var or they didn't go to var because like you mentioned there was no there was no camera angle or shot that showed whether it was a clear and obvious error on the field. So to overturn a call on the field, it has to be clear, has to be conclusive, and it wasn't. So Inter-Miami maybe escapes one there. Phil Neville, even after the game, said, we're probably a little bit lucky to to get away with a, with a win in this one. He wasn't referencing that play specifically because that wasn't what we were asking him about, but he did utter that, that, that phrase in the press conference. So I thought it was a goal. That was the first controversial play. The next controversial play came on the game winner because on the penalty kick, because of Christian McCoon's unorthodox run-up, and it's very delayed, several players from both teams encroach the penalty area. And by the letter of the law, that means that the penalty kick has to be retaken. But it wasn't. They just awarded the goal, Inter-Miami won, took the three points, and got out of dodge they got out of Toronto the, the next morning. It should have been retaken, though, because Federico Higuain blatantly, blatantly steps into the box. Obviously, he's not the only one. Again, some Toronto FC players did as well. I think Breck Shea might have gotten in uh, just before the penalty kick it was it was taken. Again, a byproduct of Christian McCoon's unorthodox run-up. They didn't know when he, when he was going to, 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 to take the kick. it was in slow motion. Yeah. It was almost like watching a slow-motion video. Yeah, he, he jumped, he leaped, and then he kicked he it. He made this big, giant leap that looked like he was almost flying through the air off his right foot. And then, yeah, it's a very slow approach. Yeah, and, and obviously, as any player that's outside of the penalty area, their job is to run forward in case the ball comes out, in case the save's made, in case it hit the right, post, to, the try, to try to hit yep. a potential rebound. So they should have had to retake that, or Christian McCoon should have had to retake that. That's what Toronto FC, I'm sure, was arguing, but it does not happen, and Inter-Miami wins the game. I'm going to say that, look, I, I, I asked Jay Chapman this today, I think that the calls and the bounces are going Inter-Miami's way right now. If you go back to the game against Columbus, Inter-Miami wins off of a terrible back pass from from Josh Williams, so things are just starting to bounce into Miami's way, and I think it's just uh, an evening out of bounces and calls that maybe they didn't get earlier in the year when they were on that poor run of form. Because if you know, you can go back to the Atlanta United game on May 9th, I believe it was, where there was three handballs that were not called that Inter Miami thought should have been called. 
So I think it's just part of the old saying that these these type of decisions or these type of bounces even out over the course of the season. I'm sure Toronto FC doesn't feel that way, but I think with with regards to Inter Miami, that's that's kind of something that's happening here. And I think you know Jay Chapman did did kind of say that he he thought so too that it's just uh, a balancing out. Although he did say you have to force you know the lucky bounces as well. You have to be in the positions to make them to make them happy, but. I do think that they have a bit of good fortune. Uh, Lady Luck is shining down on them a little bit right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I said. Good teams tend to have some good luck and bad teams have bad luck. You know, it just happens. But but it is true what he's saying. I mean, the reason that they were even the reason that there was even a controversy about Christian McCoon's PK is the fact that he was that he got that PK and that he made that play. You know, if 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 he had not made that charge to get that, to draw that penalty and to take that PK, then the game would have just ended 0-0 and there would not have been that opportunity for that controversy. The reason that there was a controversy is that he took a PK in the first place. The reason he took a PK is because he made a really heads-up, gutsy play. So, you know, it's it's uh, this is soccer. It's, it's one of those things that happens. Yeah, and... It's funny that you said that because when I play, you know, the the soccer video games with my friends, the the Pro Evolution Soccer or FIFA, which I don't really play too much, but whenever we play, and uh, I, I'm actually pretty good at soccer video games, so I tend to win more often than not. Humble brag, but my friends always are like, "Oh, you're so lucky, you got that. Oh, it's a gift. It's lucky." I'm like, "Oh, winner's luck. That's what I is what I tell them." So that's what Inter uh-huh. Miami has right now. Inter Miami has a bit of winner's winner's luck uh, going for them. But let's leave it there, Michelle. We'll we'll end the recap of the game against Toronto FC. There, we still have the Q&A session to do. I don't believe you took part in the last one when you came on earlier this season. So are you st- will you stick around for this Q&A session? Sure, okay. absolutely. All right, so we'll get to that after this. Okay, Michelle, it's Q&A time. We have a few questions to get to. This is your first one. I'm excited. Hopefully you are too. Let's see what, what how you do during our Q&A session. Because sometimes the questions are very soccer focused. Sometimes they, they come with some wit or some snark. So uh, let's, see, let's see how we do here. First question, and it's a question from earlier in the week. It's from Sal Paradise. And he said, do you think Shawcross and Alvarado get cut after this season after today's news it's looking very unlikely they will be able to contribute anything also any news on the keeper trial list so again this this question came in after we recorded the pod earlier in the week so i told sal we would get to his question on this pod which is why we're starting with his do you want to start michelle or do you want me to start um you can start go ahead okay um i don't think alvarado gets cut i think that he's a longer term project I don't know how much money he's on. I don't. I don't believe his his salary was included in the last uh, MLS player salary announcement. But I would imagine he's a longer term project given his age. That maybe they'll keep him around to to show what he's got. I think Shawcross, given his age, given his injury history, I think I think they'll probably decide to part ways there. That's just obviously my opinion. Not any information. Any information I have. Also, the keeper you're referring to is Clement Diop, who has been training with the team since uh, last week. So. That's news we reported on Miami Total Football. Uh, as far as I know, he's still just training with the team, still trialing. Not sure if he's going to get signed, although 
if he's around, I think or I would suspect that maybe maybe they do give him a deal when all is said and done. I agree. I mean, I, I think Shawcross, the thing is, I'm not sure he fits in with the way they're playing right now. Even if he were healthy, right now, if he were healthy, you know, where would you put him? Uh, you know, they're, they're back three. Christian McCoon has really, I mean, LGP and, and uh, Nico Figal play very well together side by side. And one of the things that Phil mentioned is that Christian McCoon also plays very well with those other two because they all speak Spanish. And, you know, that cannot be understated. I'm sorry, but language... Language and language barriers do happen in sports, and those are three guys who can all speak in Spanish with each other. They have an understanding of each other, of how they play. They can communicate well. Um, you know, Ryan Shawcross is a different type of player. He's a big, tall guy, you know, good for set pieces, you know, for corner kicks and things like that. But the way that they're playing, the aggression and the athleticism with which they are defending right now uh, that I don't think that that's really his style of play. So I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I guess he could come in and come off the bench, but I don't know that he fits in with what they're doing right now. Even if the, if he were healthy, um, you know, I would, I don't know. It's a terrible thing to say. Would they be as good as they are if he were in there? I don't know. That's a, that who knows? I mean, we don't really know. I, I don't we think don't. so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. He, he just, just, not not just necessarily because of the defensive aspect. I just don't think with the ball at his feet he's all that good. Like it's kind of like a hot potato to him. He kind of likes to get rid of it as soon as he mm-hmm. as soon as he has it. So you know th- this this formation and the three center backs they have had to see a lot of the ball. Christian McCoon regularly ends up being the intermine player with the most touches. So you have to be a little bit more comfortable with the ball at your feet in this and formation. LGP and too. He, yeah, LGP all three of them. Up. LGP, Figal. LGP brings, they all three, they bring it up. I mean, half the time, you know, you're looking and Figal is all the way up at the box or LGP is up there. You know, they're, they're very comfortable dribbling, moving forward. If they don't see a good pass, they just take it themselves, you know, and, and Alvarado, um, I'm sorry we haven't had a chance to see him. I mean, we we got introduced to him. I talked to him on the phone. He was all fired up and and you know injured his knee. So we really have no idea what he does or what he can do or what he can bring. But I do know that Phil Neville compared him to Figal and said that he's a Figal type player. And when I spoke to him, he said that he plays a similar style to Nico Figal. So. If you're on a team and you can have two Nico Figal type players, I think that would be a benefit to the team. So I would think that they'll give him a chance uh, once he gets healthy. And and I don't know about Diop either. I think as far as I know, he's still on trial uh, and has not signed a contract yet. So I do want to add something on Alvarado because I've seen him play with the U.S. Men's National Team. Obviously, this was almost a decade ago or five, six years ago, but he is in that technical mold, mold, sorry, more of a, a technical center back than he is maybe a physical center back. I don't know if he has that much speed or if he's that fast, but I think he's of the technical mold, and I think that's why they brought him in. I think that they're looking at him longer term, especially with the sanctions coming up and knowing that they're going to probably have to make some tough decisions with regards to the roster. Steve Brenner on this podcast has has reported more than once that one of or both of Leandro gonzalez Pires and Nicolas Figal will have to go next season just to make the numbers work uh, on the back end. So I think Ventura Alvarado is a longer-term play. We'll have to see how he how he fits in with the team. Then the next question comes from, and I'm going to get his name correct this time because last time he told me how to pronounce his name, and it's Yenje Witt. 
He's coming from, I'm trying to remember exactly where he's, he's in, oh, he's in Poland. That's right. He is in Poland. And he's, it's a two tweet question. After underwhelming performances during the first third of the season, I'm elated to see Inter Miami closing in on the spot in the top seven. However, we've got very lucky a couple of times in some recent matches. What's your honest view on Inter Miami's chances in advancing to the playoffs? It's very tempting. It's a very tempting vision right now, but I'm not sure if we can keep the momentum. Really hoping we will. Michelle, I'll let you start there. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it really is a toss-up. I think I think they are talented enough to be a playoff team. I mean, I've seen all the teams play now. When they are at their best, when they are playing well, I think they absolutely are one of the top seven teams in this conference. I don't think there's any question that they could be one of the top seven teams in this conference or even one of the top five teams in the conference when they're really playing at their top. Uh, but when you look at the number of teams that are bunched together with just, you know, one or two points between them, the difference between fifth place and 11th or whatever, 10th place, but the difference between fifth place and 10th place is not that much. Um, if you lose a couple of games in a row, you, you slide pretty quickly. And if, if the teams ahead of you keep winning, you know, they could play very well and still end up in eighth place. Uh, if they don't, you know, get several wins and have people that are ahead of them lose. So, you know, you have to not only win, but you, you need some help from the other opponent, from the other teams. You need some of those teams ahead of them to lose and you need to keep winning. Uh, I would still, if I were a betting person, which I'm not, but if I were, I would bet that they will finish in the top seven. So uh, during the beginning of the season or in preseason, Steve and I had uh, had our pre our preseason predictions, and we we both had Inter Miami making the playoffs. I said seventh place. Then we did our midseason predictions, and I said Inter Miami would not make the playoffs. So let's see how they do during this during this final stretch of this season. I agree with the NJ that the performances, like we said before, are leaving a lot to be desired, and I don't know if this is sustainable, especially once you get into into crunch time, into one-off games where the pressure ramps up and playoff games just have a different feel in MLS. They just have a different aura about them. When I covered playoff games uh, in the Northeast at New York City FC games or the New York Red Bull games, there's just a different feeling outside the stadium. There's just a different buzz or electricity. You'll feel it if Inter Miami gets a home game this year at a drive pink stadium, surely. But yeah, I don't know if this is sustainable. And even for the season, even for the rest of the season, for getting the amount of points that they're going to need to, to stay above that per, that playoff line permanently, I think they need to do better in the attack. Obviously, the results are what matter, but normally playing well is what gives you the best chances of winning a game. That's the thought process or the belief. But honestly, so. I'll tell you this one thing. I would say one thing, Franco. Not all the, it's not like all the teams are playing beautiful soccer in this league sure. and they're the only ones that aren't. You know what I mean? So... Uh, you know, to have one lot, to have seven wins out of 11 games and four clean sheets in a row, you know, three ties, just one loss in 11 games, other than New England Revolution, no other team has gotten as many points over the last 11 games than Miami. So New England Revolution has the most points in the last 11 games and Inter-Miami is in second place for most points in the last 11 games. So in the run that they're in, um, even though they have not been playing as pretty as we think they can, none of the other teams I don't think are either because they are getting the results somehow, some way. Um, and other teams are not getting the results, whether they're playing pretty or not playing pretty. So 
I don't know. I mean, I think they would have to really have a quite a little slip here to fall out. I think that they will finish above the, the playoff line. I, I, look, I agree with you. The Inter Miami is getting the job done. It's doing what it has to do, and this is where we can disagree a bit. And we welcome debates here on this pod. So if you have, if you if you want to chime back, more than welcome to. But from a result standpoint, you see it and you say, yes, they're getting the job done. And that's what matters at the end of the day. But from a performance standpoint, they haven't really been doing a great job. Defensively, been spectacular. With the ball, not that good, especially as of late. Maybe over the stretch, they did have games where they where they played well, where they had chispas or sparks of, in terms of attacking performance levels. But they, they struggle in that regard, and they have for much of this year. So I think that that is concerning, especially... Once you get into more meaningful games against better opposition, Inter Miami's remaining schedule and much of its recent schedule has been very favorable against teams that are in the lower half, mostly mostly in the lower half of the Eastern Conference. So I think against better opponents, it could get trickier for the team if they don't pick this up. But that's looking at it from a performance standpoint. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add. If not, we can we can continue on to the next question. No, let's go on. Who's okay. the next question? All right, next question comes from Don Cafecito. Do you like the new partnership with XBTO? Any official financial details? I read four to five million annually for four years. How does that compare to the rest of the league? I think, uh, from what I know, Seattle is the highest at six million. Um, most of the teams, most of the teams that I know of that have been reported, the numbers are between two and 3 million, uh, you know, between two and four, I guess I would say there are several teams that have $4 million deals per year. We're talking about, uh, some have two, many have between three and 4 million. Uh, Seattle is six. I believe that inter Miami is, is close to, you know, is probably in the five range. It's supposed to be kind of one of the best, but not maybe not as high as Seattle. So Michelle just answered that question perfectly, so I don't have much else to add there. Do I like the new partnership? Uh, I don't hate it. I'm a bit confused as to what XBTO does. So I, I'll, I'll be honest and admit that. Uh, maybe I'll have to do a little more research and figure out. But I, I, yeah, crypto is not my, not my wheelhouse like soccer is. So yeah, I have some, some brushing up to do there. Next question. This one comes from Sal Paradise. This is his question for this week's show. And I actually really, really like this question. It says, completely random question. Does Inter Miami have a team, a team chaplain or chaplain, which is Charlie Chaplin? I, I assume that's what he's asking. Um, so do, do they have a jokester, uh, someone in the locker room that's the that's the plays around? Well, no. A lot? Is he asking that, or are they asking if there's a chaplain, like a religious chaplain? <laughs> I don't. Uh, oh, maybe, maybe. Spelled. Well, it's capitalized. I, I it's capitalized. It mean, I, oh, capitalized. Because I took it to mean, do they have like a team religious advisor, a cha- team chaplain? Well, like, maybe. I mean, yeah. I, a lot of sports teams have a team chaplain. I was I was going to to ask him, but just didn't get around to it because I've been trying to upload videos to the Miami Total Football page. Football page, I was trying to, to get ready for this with you as well, so I didn't get to ask him which well, we one can he ask, meant. We can answer it both ways. Do they have a religious chaplain, and do they have a funny guy chaplain with a capital C? <laughs> <laughs> that, so I like this question because it made me think. I was like, well, is there, from what we know, obviously we're not in the locker room, or well, at least I'm not. I don't know if, if, if you if you can sneak in there uh, with uh, in disguise with one of those little masks with the mustache, but... Um, <laughs> I don't. I was. I was really curious as to this one. I'm sure there's one, but I was like, who could it be? I was like, who could who could be the guy that is in there that really likes to joke around and play around? Well, Phil has said that Christian McCoon has a cheeky personality. He has used that phrase on numerous occasions. That that he jokes around a lot. He laughs. He you know 
he said that he gets along with everybody of all nationalities and he makes everybody laugh. Um, he may be, he may be one of the funny guys. I don't know. Let me see. I'm going to look at the roster right now. Let's see. Yeah, that's why I see. I, that's why I like this question. It made me think. And I was Let's like, see. wow, made me who think. could it be? Okay. I'll, I'll say this. And this is something that I caught at training. And again, I'm not in the locker room. So we, listen, we could be completely off base. Gonzalo Higuain in the, in the locker room could be the most funny guy. Although we haven't heard that, but he could be the funniest yeah. guy in the locker room. I mean, Hey, let's go back to preseason when he was doing his, uh, his performance of Despacito. That was pretty, that was pretty humorous, but right, look, right. I, I think Jay Chapman, from what I saw in one practice session where he was bantering about with Lewis Morgan and Ryan Shawcross and Breck Shea, thought, I thought he had a good sense of humor from what I could hear because they were warming up and I don't know if it was Lewis Morgan or if it was Breck Shea, but one of them was complaining about not being posted on Instagram, on Inter Miami's Instagram account. And Jay Chapman was like, Shut up! They post you every day. What are you complaining about? Uh, which, which I had a good, which I had a good chuckle about. So maybe him, but probably you know what? It's, it, maybe it's Christian McCoon who has the most jokester personality. Because I would imagine it has to be someone that can that can speak both languages and communicate with with more guys. Although right, maybe, I mean, maybe not necessarily. Dinosaur but. thing. He had his little celebration, his little dinosaur thing. You know, I don't know. He may be cheeky. You know, Phil keeps using the word cheeky for him. Cheeky is. Uh, playful you know that he's kind of a playful guy that that makes everybody laugh and loosens everybody up a little bit yeah yeah he's probably a good shout he's probably a good shout i would say jay chapman's maybe in the conversation but that's just our perception obviously and then what about a team chaplain oh yeah i don't know i've never heard of a team chaplain on this team no i i yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't know i wouldn't i wouldn't even venture a guess because i don't i just don't know they don't have an official one. I mean, we know they have official nutritionists, this, that, but I have not seen anything about a chaplain, nor have I heard anybody refer to a chaplain or anything like that. If that's the intended question, maybe we can find out the answer for uh, for next week. Next question comes from Eric Yanis. Why isn't there goal line technology in MLS and in the game versus <laughs> Toronto? Was it just me or was that, refer- that referee terrible? Michelle, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Well, they should definitely, I mean, I think, like you said before, MLS is always talking about wanting to be cutting edge with technology. And, you know, we had, they, United States has every technological advantage to have goal line technology. So why don't they? I don't know. I think that's a very good question. They, they probably should. And, and, you know, that, that goal the other night would have been a perfect opportunity to use it. I guess I should have realized that from never seeing it in any game I've covered in MLS, but yeah, I guess, you know, I guess, uh. It was an oversight on my part, but yeah, it's surprising that MLS doesn't have goal line technology. Very surprising, and I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. Was the referee terrible? I thought the referee actually was doing a pretty poor job. Even before the controversial plays, I thought some of the calls he made on the field was were inconsistent. Some fouls he called that I thought were pretty soft, and other ones he call, did not call that looked like fouls. I, I think he obviously got the the early red card and penalty kick to Gregory. He, he gave that but then took that back because of VAR, so he corrected his mistake there. He also gave a, a correct red card to Kamar Lawrence, so he had some good decisions, but I felt he was a little bit too inconsistent by and large, so I agree that he was not great. Last question comes from Can't See Me. What do you expect for next season squad to look like? Three months ago, my predictions were very different from what I want moving forward. Today, I think we need to keep this backline inta- intact. How do we do that and at what cost? So... I'll start here, Michelle, because, look, I, th- I think forecasting next season squad is definitely an exercise to do on this podcast. I just think we should do it a little bit later on in the year when we have a better idea of the season Inter-Miami has had 
or we have a complete picture of what of the season Inter Miami has had, and we can better assess who we think should stay and who should go. But we can talk about the back three because, again, as I mentioned not not too long ago, based on what Steve Brenner has said on this podcast, what he's reported, it's going to be. It's not going to happen, pretty much. It's not going to happen. Based on what he's reported, that it's not possible to to keep this back three intact. Maybe maybe it proves that proves not to be the case. Maybe they move other pieces to try to make it happen. But by and large, from my understanding and from what Steve has said, one of Nicolas one of Nicolas Figal and Leandro Gonzalez Pires will have to go, maybe even both of them. So it's going to be tough to keep this back three intact for for 22 and beyond. Well, I think the thing is that those two are the guys, you know, it's not who you want to get rid of. It's, it's who do the other teams want. You know, you can put all your teams, you can put all your players out there with a little price tag on them. And what matters is what do the buyers want, you know, and, and LGP and Figal are, are two players that other teams would would want would envy, would covet because, you know, it's hard to find a really good athletic defender who can also move the ball up. And both of those guys have really played outstanding this year. Both of them have played outstanding. Uh, They are the two that probably the team is getting the most inquiries about from what I've heard also. Those are the guys that when other teams call them about being interested in maybe making a deal, the other teams are saying, okay, we're interested in Figal. We're interested in LGP. If it's about money and, you know, I mean, the other the other DPs are, are you know, Pizarro, which is another option to, you know, I would think that there would be some Mexican team for sure or a South American team or a Mexican team that would be interested in him. You know, he is in a position where not that he's not a good player, but he may be more expendable and may be able to get other players to play the position he plays I think he would be easier to replace than Figal or LGP, to be honest. No, no, I, I, uh, I agree with that. I think the question's more in line of the fact that, and this goes to the Matuidi gate sanctions that will be in effect next year. That's, yeah, they that's, have to get some money. That's they have going, to sell right, that's, an expensive player. That's going, yeah. but that's going to affect. That's not going to necessarily affect the DPs because the DPs are are a different threshold. That's more in line going to affect their their allocation money players or targeted allocation money players which are Lewis Morgan Gregory Landro Gonzalez Pires Nicolas Figal Julian Carranza I think Carranza is definitely a goner after this season I just don't think he's done enough to warrant I think the $900,000 salary he's on but I, I think again to make the numbers work from what from what's been reported is that one of Nicolas Figal and Leandro Gonzalez-Pires will have to go just based off of that. It's not necessarily based off their performance or anything of the like. It's just in order for Inter Miami to make the numbers work, their salary budget and their salary cap for next year, that they have, they're have they going to have to part ways with one of them, which which may be why you, we started to hear some rumors in recent months about Leandro Gonzalez-Pires being shopped around and Nicolas Figal being shopped around because they just can't make the numbers work. With with those guys on the roster and the sanctions coming up, so I, I think it's going to be a tough decision. If you had to get rid of one of those two, I think I think we've been asked that before on this pod. I would say more than likely would have to get rid of Leandro Gonzalez Pires because he's older and probably has less sell on value. Whereas Nicolas Figal, maybe you could sell him, you know, further down the line and, and make some money off of off of that. But I think that's more in line uh, along the lines of where the question uh, is coming from. At least that's my interpretation. Yep, I would agree. I would agree with that. I think. They're both very, very valuable. They're both very valuable to this team. Uh, Figal is Figal is younger, 
and has a little bit more upside. Um, he also is not doesn't get quite as many yellow not cards. A, not as <laughs> not as card prone. <laughs> not as card prone. Not as volatile. Um, and you know, very very well liked. Super hard worker. He's just a he's a warrior. I mean, he really is a warrior. You know, and and I, I know that. Uh, Phil Neville thinks extremely highly of him. You can just tell by the way he talks about him when he's talking about other players and he's praising other players. He's uses words like he's Figal like, or he's this, you know what I mean? He, he clearly thinks very highly of him. I, I'm going to go on a quick tangent. I just, I, I, I get the criticism that Leandro Gonzalez-Pires gets too many cards, but you kind of need someone like that though. You need someone that's intimidating. That's not afraid. Well, to, Gregory to get physical. gets a lot of cards too. Exactly. You, you, and that's part, and that's part of their, that's part of their position. Their position is to break things up. And obviously the idea is to get the ball, but with just the way the sport works, you're bound to draw cards at center back position and at the defensive midfielder position, because you're tasked to destroy, not create like an attacking midfielder is, or like a, like a winger or a striker is. They're tasked with creating Defenders are tasked with destroying, and with that comes naturally fouls and cards. I don't necessarily mind Leandro Gonzalez Pires's physicality. Maybe he could t- cut back a little bit to not get so many yellow cards, but I, I think that he's you know, cut down on the arguing. He has cut down on arguing with the refs. He was very argumentative early in the season, which you know the refs don't like that, and they end up you know if it's a choice of give a guy a yellow or not, and the guy's been jawing at him the whole game, they'll give him. They're going to give him the yellow. Uh, I think he's gotten better. I think he's he's uh, controlling his temper more. Um, you know, during this whole good run that they've had, I think the whole team has been better about that than it was early. There was a lot of whining earlier in the season, and there isn't as much now. Well, we'll leave it there. That's it for the Q&A session. Michelle, you made it through. I don't think you even broke a sweat, so... Thank you for joining us for that. Now we'll I do am the Lewis Morgan <laughs> of the podcast. I can go the full 90 minutes without a break, without a water break. Just give me the ball. We appreciate you for that. Now we're going to ask you for one more thing, and that's a final thought. Give yours, then I will give mine, and we'll wrap up the show after that. Uh, let's see. My final thought. My final thought is that this team, uh, there's a, I, I'm sensing a buzz about this team and I have a sense that the crowds if they win and do well for the next couple of games I'm predicting that the crowds are going to creep up toward the 18,000 number again and that the local media and national media are all going to start showing up and writing stories and telling the story of how did this team turn it around how Phil Neville who was, you know, some people, Franco, some people <laughs> said, I remember the exact words, in any other league in the world, this is a fireable loss. Absolutely. This is a fireable hey. loss. Okay. Uh, anyway, he kept his job, and here he is now 11 games later, the toast of the town. So, um, you know, it's it's been a really fun, it's been a roller coaster of a season. I am really curious to see what happens over the next 11 games. I'm Every game I go into it with a lot of anticipation now because all these games really, really matter now. And it, they're going to either go up or they're going to go down in this playoff race. But uh, I do get a sense that there's just more of an excitement. Um, more people are asking me about it. Just friends of mine on Facebook, this and that. People are paying attention. They know what's going on. And, and it's fun. I really think that this team, this city, this area, South Florida, which loves soccer so passionately deserves to have a good team that they can get behind and get excited about. And, you know, those, 
La Familia, they have been amazing. Even in the darkest, worst days, they were still out there in the pouring rain when the team was losing. Uh, I'm very happy for them that they finally have a team that is worthy of all of their singing and all of their chanting and all of their positive energy. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. In fact, here's how I will end. I will tell you a little inside information. My family's planning a ski trip and my husband wanted us to leave on December 11th for the ski trip. Now call me delusional or whatever. <laughs> and I said, we can't leave on the 11th because that's the day of the MLS Cup final. And he's like, you think Miami is going to make the MLS Cup final? And I said, this is a crazy sport. And you never know, but I can't take that chance. I don't want to plan a ski trip, buy the tickets, rent the condo, and then Miami somehow gets into the MLS Cup final and I ruin the whole vacation. So we are, the Michelle Kaufman ski vacation has been pushed to December 13th on the very off chance that this team will make the MLS Cup final. See, I would I would say that's a neat, neat thing on your part. But since you threw me under the bus there with the viral, viral offense <laughs> remark, I'm not going to, to do that. No, I'm just kidding. Look, I stick by what I said. I, you would I, make the ski trip. You would make the ski trip on the eleventh. <laughs> uh, well, I know. I always plan my, my 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 vacations after the season, even after MLS Cup. I normally go to MLS Cup. I've gone to every MLS Cup since twenty eleven, regardless of of who's in it. Though I'm not. Though it. I'm not. Yeah. Though I'm not sure if I, if I'm gonna go or attend this year's. But look, I will say that I stick to what I said after that fighters were lost against the New England Revolution. I do think that almost anywhere else in the world, given the situation Miami was in, I think you would probably get fired if you're a head coach. However, the ownership has stuck with them, so credit to the ownership group, as well as credit to Phil Neville and the players, but especially Phil Neville, because somehow, with almost the exact same team, he's had them flip a switch and become completely different uh, and, and, and much more competitive this this season over the last couple of months. So kudos to him. I even told him that on the on a recent press conference, and uh, he had a, he had a nice smile there because uh, he obviously had been criticized quite a bit by myself included. My final thought is... This is not inside information. This is just something to keep an eye on. I thought it was very curious that Inter Miami, having only five players on the bench, five field players on the bench, they didn't take Edison Ascona to the game on Tuesday versus Toronto, and that he was instead left at home to watch on TV, especially after he dressed in the weekend match against the Columbus crew. Don't know what that's about. Not sure why he was left behind, if it was just so he could focus on Fort Lauderdale CF. But given that... It's an MLS game and you're in a playoff push. You would imagine that that would be a more of a priority than him playing with Fort Lauderdale, just having that extra weapon for the attack because Inter Miami in a game like this clearly needed something else, needed some more ideas and maybe had given him five, 10 minutes could have, could have been a possibility. So I think that's something that bears watching. Not, not sure what that was about, but anyway, that's, I'll just leave that one. And I have a second final thought actually, and I almost forgot it. Thank you to you, Michelle, for actually getting me to do more work for the Miami Herald as of late. I want to say thank you publicly. I know I've done so in, in private on a number of occasions, but thank you uh, for, for the opportunity for helping get that, uh, that those chances to do so. I covered a, a high school football game last week. It ended up being uh, a school that 
Jorge Mas is well ingrained with or well involved with, and that is Columbus. So that was a different experience for me, but thank you anyway, Michelle, for for that, because uh, without you, I don't think that would have been possible. But that does it for this week's show. So thank you again to Michelle for joining us. Thank you guys again for listening to this second episode this week. We'll be back early next week to recap this match against the New York Red Bulls and preview the midweek match against Nashville SC. Don't forget to give us a follow on all our social media accounts and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For Michelle Kaufman, I am Franco Panizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. I will talk to you guys again. <laughs>